Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. In this week's episode of Becoming Whole, I speak with Felice Malay, who is an internationally renowned, evocative and powerful spoken word artist. She's also a speaker and a coach from the UK. She's a global advocate for women's rights and a fierce voice for the power of authenticity and connection as a social change tool. She's now based in Melbourne, Australia, and she runs Melbourne's acclaimed spoken word event, um, Mother Tongue. She's a passionate and powerful, vulnerable and honest performer whose words and courses do leave a profound impression. I first met Fleecy um, a couple of years ago at some um, networking women's events and I was automatically sort of struck by her truthfulness and her real ability to speak with passion and um, conviction. Uh, since then, I've come across her um, workshops um, that she's run at Seven Sisters events and also um, I saw her at Confest um, this year and she's really impressive to see um, live. She really does stand in the place of connection and authenticity and the value that she provides to her audiences based on her own personal experiences with standing um, on stage and the growth and transformation that she's gone through personally through those experiences. And she's now offering those learnings and tools and techniques that she has gathered from her own personal experiences to share with others so that more people can start to really stand in this place of authentic power, authenticity, and create that connection that we all crave um, to create with ourselves and with others. So I think that you're going to really enjoy this episode. I definitely learned a lot, um, lots of things that I'm really taking into my own life as well, um, based on the information that Fleecy, Fleecy shares. So really hope you enjoy this. Let's get to the episode. Hi Fleecy, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming. Let's kick off with um, your journey um, and what really led you to the path that you're on now with poetry and um, your speaking programs. Um, you know, what were the key things that kind of happened in your life to take you down this journey? I think it's been a real, I think it comes from many different directions for me. Like I've always been a really creative person. I've always been a very, um, someone who, who finds a lot of, a lot of home in that space of self-creation and, and, that was in all sorts of forms, whether that was crafting or, or drawing or, or writing. But I never really considered myself a writer until about a year ago, which is funny because I've been performing spoken word for 11 years. Mm. And yet in my mind, I never considered myself a writer. Um, and I think, I think as a little kid, I was really, I was naturally very outgoing and very vibrant. And I like to kind of be engaged in the world and in life. And I think that a lot of girls like that, um, that well, what happened to me, and I feel like it's relevant for a lot of women, is that, that I got told to kind of stop trying to take the limelight and mm. stop 
being the drama queen, like give other people some space or just kind of the little things that get said to people to kind of make them smaller. Um, I remember one time I went on a school trip and, you know, I was just, I loved giving the, like when someone had a question, I'd love to put up my hand and, and, and give the answer because I felt like I was being asked the question. So I would answer the question. And I remember getting at the end of the of the school trip, everybody got a little postcard from the trip with like a little message on them for us. And my one um, said, thank you for being the fount of all knowledge in brackets. Um, and I came away really hurt. I felt like it was a passive aggressive way of telling me to stop, um, stop being such a, a know-it-all and stop putting myself out there so much. And I think around that time, I started to really shut myself down. It wasn't just that one thing, but it was like one example of the little ways in the world that, that we get told to kind of quieten down and make ourselves smaller. Um, I think I had a massive journey with self-worth as far as bullying goes as well. And, and didn't really, I kind of spent a lot of my youth trying to be cool, trying to be liked, try, wanting to be, to be liked and, and accepted for who I was and yet not really accepting myself for who I was. And so although I, although I started being on the stage from about the age of about 10, I don't think I really actually arrived on stage until I was in my 20s, maybe mid-20s. Mm. because for those first maybe 10 15 years I was I was on stage trying to be somebody else right so that's what you mean be. that's what you mean by you didn't arrive before because you yeah. were trying to be someone else rather than your true authentic self yeah. so mm. my body was on stage but I wasn't on stage my personality myself my heart wasn't on stage and and that would manifest in me getting up on stage and performing and, and doing poetry and doing whatever it was I needed to do and then or singing and then getting off stage and feeling so much shame and so much self-doubt or I'd be on the stage the whole time telling myself that I was shit, that nobody liked me, um, my heart rate would go up, I'd be kind of in a state of kind of panic and, and anxiety whilst on the stage. And... Um, and that and that back and it would backfire on me a lot because you know people people can sense that you know it's that thing when you feel like you're not liked so you try harder and then people find you annoying and so you try harder and people find you more annoying yep <laughs> that exact thing that, that you don't want to happen is happening because you're putting exactly. too much pressure and trying to be that thing mm. yeah so i spent a lot of my life wanting to be liked and um it was actually through my journey with spoken word and through my journey of, of witnessing that in myself that, I, that that began to change. I feel, I mean, not that it's gone completely, but it's definitely my relationship to it has, has shifted massively. Um, I think one thing of that is that when you're on stage, like, I, you know, that feeling when someone puts a camera to you and they say act normal and you're like, well, well what do I normally do with my hands? You know, <laughs> your whole body goes, ah, <laughs> so for me that's because when somebody looks at us with the eyes of an audience a witness we actually witness ourselves by that many times more oh. so an eye like a like one pair of eyes witnessing me I see myself twice as much an audience of 50 I look at myself a hundred times more I start to notice bits of myself that I normally don't pay any attention to and I question it I question what it is I'm doing whether that's normal whether it's okay and when like a camera is an infinite eye, 
so when we get a camera on us we just look at ourselves with the with the scrutiny of, of, a, of a million eyes looking at ourselves mm. an infinite number of eyes and um and so through that and through my journey of being on stage and being forced to look at myself i i started to see myself i started to see where i wasn't showing up um and it's a hard thing to see because you're there on stage and you're watching yourself not be yourself. And there's a good period of time of going like, well, well like shaming yourself for that, which, you know, so um, for me, it's been a really beautiful journey of learning to, it's, it's a journey of love and acceptance mm. of self, self love and self acceptance. And also a big journey of um, kind of mindfulness and awareness and becoming more aware of my body and more aware of, of, of how I show up in life in general and a massive journey of unlearning. So I feel like when we get brought up, we get, brought, we get taught all these ways to make ourselves small, all these ways to hide ourselves, all of these ways to lie, to make ourselves look better and to the external world and actually what it is to unlearn those things to actually let myself be myself and be honest with myself when I'm in front of people because essentially all anybody wants is connection mm. when you're in the audience and by audience, I just mean in life, you know, when you're looking at somebody else, what you want is connection. And we spend so much of our lives. We spend so much of our lives kind of living behind all these different masks and tools to hide ourselves. So as we don't get picked apart or scrutinied or, or seen that actually connection is, is impossible. I think for, for me, sure. the, the biggest part of it has been that journey of, of from disconnection to connection through mm. beginning to look at myself and see what's there and accept what's there. For sure, for sure. It's almost like there's this facade that we've created and, you know, based on all of the beliefs and all of the stories that we've created and then we're kind of projecting that out to the world and it's only until something happens or you're forced to really look at it that you you do I know that that's happened in my own life you know and as I'm kind of going through and peeling back the layers and all of that you know more stuff is showing up whereas for a long period of time in my life you know I, I didn't have to look at it <laughs> You know, because it's, I think it's a thing that we avoid because it is, um, it's a little, it's confronting <laughs> as hell. Um, so what did you, so you said, you know, you were on stage since you were really young, but it wasn't until your twenties that you really started to arrive on stage. What did you, what did you do? Like, you know, how did you kind of move through that? Like practically, you said that you watched some of the recordings and kind of looked at yourself in that way. Mm, I didn't watch recordings, actually. Oh, I watched didn't. myself internally. Ah, ah right. So, so basically, I spent the first, you know, from the age of 10 to the age of, say, 21, 22-ish on stage. Mostly I was acting, so I was playing other people on stage anyway, which helps. But then once I started doing spoken word, which I started at the age of 19, it's different. Like, A, when you're doing your poem, you can kind of be in character. But in those spaces mm. between poems, you have nothing to qualify your worth except for yourself. It's the same yeah. as when you're a musician and you finish your song before the next song starts. What is the qualification of your worth of being there? How do you... Um, how do you give yourself permission to be in front of other people when you have nothing um, external to valid to validity to give yourself validity? You know, 
So that's when I started having to look at myself is through that spoken, through that process of doing spoken word and realizing that actually at the beginning, what I would do is I'd get up on stage and I'd walk with my like shoulders up and my head down, not looking at the audience. And I'd scuttle on stage really quickly, stand in front of the microphone, take a, take a deep breath and then like, boom, be in this epic poem where I'd be like engaging the audience, looking them in the eyes, being fully there and fully present. And at the end of the poem, as soon as they started to, as soon as I finished my last word practically, I'd zoom straight back inwards and go back into my body and my shell and then run off stage. And it was kind of my way of, it was like a character that I was playing, this kind of shy character to make it safe. So I knew who I was in those moments between the poems. So I could create something of myself that was safe. Um, Then the time when I started to speak in, in those gaps, I was so concerned about what the, what I thought the audience wanted from me that I wasn't able to meet myself or anybody else. And I would say things that were just bumbling and things that kind of got put me in, made me look kind of foolish, really. Mm. My fear of looking foolish made me look foolish. My desperate, my desperate attempts to not be uncool. And, Mm. you know, we've seen seen it with like in all the shows where you've got the kind of the geeky kid doing everything, everything they can to be be cool and, and it not looking good at all for anyone Uh, so I think for me there was a turning point um the first turning point was when I was 21 and I got up at a rap battle it was a poets versus MCs uh, events in Brighton in the UK and there was about 400 people in the audience there was a team of poets and a team of MCs I was completely out of my comfort zone and probably a little bit out of my safety zone as well I didn't know much about the hip-hop scene I loved hip hop music, but I didn't really, I'd never been out amongst the scene, mostly because I classified myself as not being cool enough to go there and do it, right? And so here I was on stage battling against people who I had already pedestaled above myself as being um, more talented, cooler, more worthy in all the different ways. I mean, the reason I say the word cool so much is because that was the word that I was hung up on without even realizing it. And that might not be other people's thing, might be clever or intellectual or whatever it is. But for me, it was this idea of being whatever cool was to me. And I got up on stage and I had a poem to do that, that was actually, that began in a very, um, the opening line was a very provoking line. And the idea was it was meant to provoke and then meant to unpick that, what it, what it provoked afterwards. And the opening line was, um, I'm a white woman and I'm proud of this fact. And then I would unpack what to me as a 21 year old girl, it meant to be white and to be a woman and unpack it in all the different ways that I could. Um, But that opening line, I was used to reading it in front of like quite audiences of poets who would like kind of take a deep breath and then kind of bear with me and see where I went with it. And this time I was on stage in front of 400 drunken hip hop audience members they were they were there for the they were there for the edge for the attitude for the fire <laughs> you know and I was not I'm not very good with confrontation and stuff and so I got up there and it's meant to be a battle right so you're meant to get up there and like give the other 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 team sass and then do your poem and I was not good at giving sass <laughs> <laughs> this whole preamble that I had kind of half thought about in my head and convinced myself that's what I should do about how I didn't feel like I was cool enough to be on that stage because I was, because poetry for me was usually like, you know, black guys, like black guys from the ghetto doing, doing poetry and doing hip hop and they were talented. And me, I was a, a straight guy. It was very hetero. It's a very hetero community in my eyes. 
And so I was like, you know, I'm a white bisexual woman on stage and I don't feel like I'm, I'm cool enough. You know, and I, I went into it that way. And, and from the only, the only woman on the other team happened to be a, a lesbian woman, a white lesbian woman. And she stepped forward and, and like, she was probably the only one on that team because the rest of them were guys. She was the, she was the only woman on the team. <coughs> Excuse me. And she stepped forward with a microphone and said, babe, it's never cool to be bisexual. And then stepped back onto her team and like, Oh, it was like being stabbed in the stomach because <laughs> I'd been vulnerable about this kind of like fear that I had that I wouldn't be accepted. And then, and then she'd come forward for the, for the play because that's what you're meant to do in these spaces. That's what the space, she was just doing what the, what the script was really, but I just was not prepared for it. And, um, and then I started my poem and I said, I'm, I, but by this point I was in defense. That whole preamble was me in defense of who I was rather than just showing up and being myself. I was already in defense and defending who I was. Mm. So before you even took to stage, you already had that layer of defense. Exactly. Yeah. I was already, I was already defending, defending mm. something from an attack that hadn't come. And any attacks that do come were there for the play of it, for, for the, for the, for the game. And I would take them very personally because of this, this already air of being in defense that I had. Then when I opened my first line, I said, I'm a white woman and I'm proud of this fact. Like a couple of people were in the audience who were quite drunk shouted racist and my whole, everything in me, I went white. And, and in that moment, I felt like I could have just like run off the stage and hidden forever. And I continued my poem and by the end of it, everyone was with me and they were, they were like cheering and going with me. But um, I got off that stage and I hid didn't matter that by the end of it, everyone was cheering. It didn't matter that some of my dearest friends and my family were in the audience, that people who were not white women were in that audience who were good friends of mine and told me that they loved that poem and that I did a great performance. None of that stuff mattered to me because I had been up there in a place of self-shame and defense and trying to be something that I wasn't and then felt like I still hadn't succeeded. I was trying mm. so hard to be something that I wasn't and be accepted and I still hadn't been accepted. And I hid and I was afraid. I was actually afraid for my life. You know, I, I woke up with like heart palpitations and stuff. And, and it wasn't really a, there was, there was no logic to that fear. It, it was a primal fear. It was that fear of rejection, of, of, of being turned against by the community for doing something wrong. And people get that at all whenever they get on stage. Like I think that's, that's the core root of, of public speaking, fear of public speaking, is that fear that, of rejection um, essentially by society, which is primarily a fear of death. And so mm -hmm. that came up very tangibly in me. And I, and I witnessed it and I sat in it for weeks of like heart palpitations and waking up from nightmares. And it made me realize that something was wrong and it wasn't something, it wasn't something that had just happened that day. It wasn't something that just happened on that stage. It was something that I had been doing for a long time on stage on, and it took that day and that stage and me going, getting such a, um, a confronting, such a confronting reaction mm. to actually see what it was that I was doing and what was happening was I was not in integrity. I was not showing up as myself. And it took years after that of me just sitting with it and witnessing it when mm. I was on stage, it didn't just change overnight. And so I guess the second changing point was me um, when I, I eventually ended up living in, in Asia in, in Thailand. And I was working at a resort where I was, 
getting up on the same stage every week in front of the same, pretty much the same audience. Some night, some parts of the year, it would be a hundred people in the audience and other parts of the year, it would just be the three or four people that were there all the year round who worked with me. And they were my friends. They were my mm. friends on and off stage. And I'd get up there and I'd go and do my stuff. And I'd realize I was being different to them. I was being a different person when I was on stage and who I was when I was with them only seconds earlier. And when it's only the only people in front of you are the people who know you really well and you, and, and you're not being yourself. It's obvious. It was like yeah. glaringly obvious to me by this point. And I had to, I had to just let go. I had to stop doing that because I knew that, that my friends loved me for who I was and I was showing up not as that and it didn't feel right. And I was coming off with the same shame stories that I would have come off with that other stage from and I was coming off the stages from my whole life. So I started using it as a platform to let myself be myself, to be vulnerable, to be courageous and to, to, to kind of just show up as myself. And um, I feel very lucky that I had that stage, that continued mm. place to show up because it did mean that every week I had to get up there and every week, well, I didn't have to, but every week I chose to, I put myself up there on that stage every week and confronted myself and confronted my demons and my fears of not being accepted and dropped deeper and deeper and deeper into myself Mm. so in terms of so it was a mixture of like um continuing to show up to do the work to put yourself in that position mixed Mm -hmm. with that kind of um self-discovery of kind of letting go of that need to be accepted and to go more into like who you truly are and be okay with that Mm. and the realization Mm. that really people will never accept me if i'm not giving them me they might accept yeah. what I give them, but that won't be me. Mm. And, and so if I really want to be accepted as myself, then I have to start giving people myself because no one's ever going to know what's there to accept. Yeah. Um, and the stage, like I said, is the perfect, it's this microcosm of life. And the way I was showing up on stage, it wasn't just about how I was showing up on stage. Mm. It was a direct correlation to how I was showing up with people and friends and social situations and lovers yeah. in my life. And I was giving them the bits of myself that I thought would make them accept me. Like uh, I was being nice, for example, the nice girl, or I was being the sexy one, or I was being the confident one, or I was being, you know, whatever it was, the sassy one, whatever. And, and that wasn't a whole holistic picture of who I was. Mm. It was, and so, so essentially I was lying. I was being inauthentic. I wasn't being myself. And so, yeah. I wasn't ever really comfortable or never felt really accepted by people. And the reason wasn't their fault. Mm. The reason was my fault because I just didn't show up. I wasn't even putting myself out there to be accepted. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And so have you found then since, you know, you had this discovery and so, you know, you've been continuing to put yourself out there, but from, you know, your authentic space, rather than, you know, from this facade, have you noticed that having an impact on other parts of your life, the more that you've kind of come into this self-acceptance and, you know, self-loving of who you truly are, not the bits that you like and then kind of pushing aside the bits that you don't? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely so. Yeah, I mean, Mm. my relationships with my friends, my relationships Mm. with my lovers, my relationship with myself is has shifted massively mm. um, I mean I had great friends throughout my life but I feel like a lot of them only ever got parts of me yeah um, I would wear like for, for a long time uh, in my mid-teens 
I was I wore the ditzy, the ditzy girl thing. And so I was like bouncy, I'd bounce about mm-hmm. and I'd be like really ditzy and then I'd like flip and get super emotional. Um and people got those two sides to me, but they didn't get anything else. And I think that um that, yeah, what I what I've got now are friends in, in my life and I'm attracting people who want my vulnerability, mm-hmm. who want my honesty and will give me that of themselves. And that for me is invaluable. Um, yeah. Like I don't want to be living a life where I have to put on a mask for people who are around me all the time. It might be that I have, that I choose to put on a mask at one point to support me in a scenario, but I don't want to have to live with a mask on my face. Yeah. Uh, and there's times in my life where I've woken up and before I've even got out of bed, I put my mask on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that doesn't work for me. And if we're looking mm-hmm. at the world today and the, and the levels of, of, depression and anxiety that people are experiencing that's a lot of that is really linked to isolation and disconnection and so for me like this work the work of letting ourselves be seen and showing up and speaking our words fully um is the work of breaking down that disconnection and creating connection with other people yeah that's so profound like i agree wholeheartedly in what you're saying because um, you know, now, like with how everything's kind of shifting and changing, particularly from a technological perspective, you know, and so we have these phones that we can do little videos on and show parts of our lives and things like that. And particularly if, you know, you're in the coaching space or, you know, you're, um, you know, in, in this type of space, then, you know, it's a big part of the work to put your face out there and do videos and things like that. Now, you know, I've started doing little videos and my gosh, I didn't realize that I had so many judgments of self. (laughs) And, you know, so literally like you're saying, it's like that video is reflecting back to me, the parts that I don't like about me that I've been hiding from. And it's the same with, um, you know, uh, the spoken words as well. So, you know, like one of the reasons, one of the many reasons for starting this podcast was for that very reason was that I was almost scared of my own voice in a way, my true voice. Cause similar to you, I'd done quite a lot of acting as a child, but I always felt comfortable because I was being someone else, not who I was. So I could kind of hide behind that. Um, but yeah, it was only since, you know, kind of going down on this down this journey that um yeah it's become really confronting in that way but beautiful at the same time because it's a chance of healing those parts of myself that I've been rejecting for so long so um really powerful stuff um and I also find sorry just to add on to that Mm. is this idea that um that that it is a path it's a practice like I see my I don't see my work as a you you do this course and you come out the other end fixed it's it's yeah. like learning yoga it's, it's it's a practice and there are times in my life where yeah I get up on stage and I don't even think about it I don't worry about it I'm just up there I do my poems I feel completely connected and I leave the stage complete I'm not thinking yeah. I don't even think about it again and there are other times where I am still in a place of of anxiety and fear and it's the relationship to that part of myself and the continually showing up for myself in those times that is important. Um, and I like to compare it to yoga because it's like, it just because you're a yoga teacher doesn't mean every single day you get up, you want, you, you want to do yoga and it's going to feel good and it's going to feel easy. There are going to be days when you wake up and you don't want to get on that mat. 
And when you do get on the mat, you hurt and you ache and you can't go as deep into the poses that you, as, as your Instagram page suggests that you can, you know, and those days are just as much a part of the work as the days when you do show up and you are doing that Instagram photo shoot, you know, or you are just in your own on top of a mountain peak, whatever in Halasana, you know, touching God or whatever it is that you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think that, that that's a really big thing to kind of, in the same way that, that from the moment you go to your first yoga class, you are a yogi, you are in practice. Every mm. moment is practice of yoga because yoga is a mindset and everything else. It's the same with this work, just because I believe that everyone's already doing the work. It's just mm. how deeply into the work we can go each day yeah. and works for us each day. And some days we might, it might be harder to go deep into that work and that's okay and have compassion for yourself for those days. And yeah. there are some days when it might still be hard, but you're ready to go there. And there might mm. be days where it's not hard at all, you know, and it's just, it's just, um, yes, yeah, seeing it as a daily practice rather than seeing it as something you have to conquer in yourself and you have to yeah. become somebody who is eternally self-accepting and loving. Mm. Because yeah. I think that in this world, in this day and age, with the amount of um, consistent media and imagery, especially as women, but uh, as uh, like stuff that's out there that is working so hard to bring us down, mm. if you were able to completely transcend that stuff, then you probably don't need my help, you know, <laughs> like I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. But it's about, it's about seeing it as a practice, uh, mm. a practice, a compassionate practice of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that word, that compassion, compassion and kindness, because, you know, like I've gone through, you know, all the, all the levels and, you know, that, that self-criticism of kind of like seeing yourself in a certain light or, you know, the shame and stuff, but then kind of bringing that acceptance of self, but really, really from that kind of heart, kind of compassion, conditional, unconditional love and perspective. And so is there a practice that you do every day to help you get into that state? Or is there something that you do before you get on stage, whether it's a visualization or is there something that you do? Um, so for me, if there is a practice that I do every day, it's probably more along the lines of the Courageously Me work that I do, which is actually very deeply connected to showing up. So Courageously Me mm -hmm. is, was one of my online programs that I ran, which was about just daily self-care. So an act of something just for you every day. And so for me, it's different to showing up to the mat and doing the same postures every day. For me, that kind of practice is checking in with myself every day and seeing what it is that I need for myself, for my heart and for my well-being every day. And when I am actually filling my own cup and feel, and it's, it's a bit cliched now, like you can't fill anybody else's cup until your own cup is full, but it's so true. And, mm -hmm. and I see it when it comes, when, when I'm doing so much work that is about communicating with other people and giving out to the world and like sharing videos and, and and especially when videos are going viral it's like mm. it, it feels like if, you're, if your cup isn't full it feels draining it feels like it's sucking yeah so for me my daily practice is doing something for myself every day and it might be as simple as stopping and smelling a flower that i noticed as i'm walking mm. or it could be a big a big action of doing a yoga session or or dancing or going to a massage or a hot spring you know like it could be a yeah. big, like self or it could be mindset it could be washing the dishes and thinking about how grateful I am for something while I wash the mm. dishes or enjoying the sensation of the water on my hands it could be mindfulness stuff like that yeah but um 
it's that's probably my most important life practice is mm. is that me moment I call it like a yeah like my, my my well when I do it I do it as a practice of 30 days so 30 days of me and so like what is my what is my me gift every day mm. and that links to this work because for me to create connection with an audience there is and by audience of course I mean anybody else in the world mm. that we're talking to it is to you need to have connection firstly with yourself then yeah. with the space around you and only then can you connect with your audience otherwise mm. the bit that's meeting your audience isn't you it's, it's the external shell of you and yeah so um and the word courage really comes to me in this which is like Brene Brown's definition of courage is that it comes from the word cur which means heart and mm. so courage translates to to tell the story of yourself with your whole heart mm, and I beautiful. love that and so for mm. me when I'm thinking of living life courageously or I'm thinking of um speaking up on stage it is it is an act of courage it's an act of telling myself with my whole heart and I cannot tell myself to anybody if I don't know who myself is if I don't have time to know myself and connect with myself and if I'm not prepared to do that work to stop to go inwards and to connect and then from there connect with the what is around me directly and then from there only then connecting with an audience mm, really nice really nice thank you for sharing that um and is that something that you do on a regular basis, like daily basis? Something yeah, I mean, it's time to slip out of it, but yeah. like it is, it is, a, it is a, um, it is an, a, a conscious action that I try and yeah. do every single day of like, what is it that I, I can do for myself today? It might get to the end of the day and I haven't done anything, but, um, but then I find I, I light a candle or something. Yeah. It can be a small act so yeah. of just like looking after myself. Uh, and as far as it goes on stage, it is, it, it is very much a conscious thing of the first thing I must do is ask myself what do I need. Yeah. What do yeah. I need right now to be able to connect with myself? Mm. What do I need now to connect with my message? With what it is that I want to say? Yeah. Because if I'm not connected to it, the audience will never be connected to it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I, I know that you're a mum. Um, and so, um, and, and I know that a lot of mums, um, you know, I'm not a mum myself, but I know a lot of mums that find this stuff to be really difficult. Um, and, you know, judgment pops up and things like that. You know, I need to put my children first. You know, I, I know that, you know, that's something, um, particularly my mum, you know, she's, been very much like that you know I put everyone first before myself and it's selfish of me to put myself first have you found that by looking after yourself and asking these questions to self and then you know looking after that part has meant that you've had a better relationship with your daughter that it's helped you with motherhood and all of that as well 100% yeah absolutely that's how I that's why I started it I mean the, with especially with the um not the spoken word and poetry stuff but with the courageously me um journey which was the the, the, the gift to myself every day that was a gift that's what I decided for my 30th birthday because I got yeah. to 30 I had a two-year-old and I was depressed and I was mm. becoming abusive in my language and my actions towards my partner and myself and I was not being able to show up to her I was grumpy a lot of the time I was short of patience and I just was gagging for time alone, but not, yeah. not being able to give it to myself. And so what I started to do was just be like, well, you know, I can give myself time, even if that time is that moment between like clipping her into her, into her car seat and shutting the door and that space between me walking from her door to my door, um, yeah. taking a deep breath, looking at the sky, looking at the clouds, 
finding those tiny moments of drop-in for myself mm-hmm. um and that slowly expanded and as she's got older and been more and more able to spend time by herself or with other people like with her dad and, and, and people like that then then obviously it gets easier for me to find myself but actually I say that but no because I feel like even if you're not a mum um we give ourselves a way to work we give ourselves mm-hmm. a way to lovers we give ourselves a way to the world to what other people's expectations are of us yeah and especially I mean like I can mostly only talk with my perspective of being a woman but mm-hmm. we are taught to master ourselves as women and it's I mean like I don't know if I'm allowed to swear but I'm just going to say that it's yeah bullshit. go ahead <laughs> bullshit because mm. If I have, I, I, and I've seen it, I've seen it in older generation, people close to me who have put themselves to the side over and over again for, gen- for, for decades, Yeah, you know, and then it gets, they get to a certain age and they are depressed Yeah, and they're disconnected and they're lost and something mm. is deeply sad and they're disconnected from themselves and they don't know why. Yeah. And it's because they've been, they've been doing what we've been taught to do, mm. which is to put ourselves last. And yeah. like, I mean, I don't want to go on about the patriarchy or anything, but like, <laughs> if there's anything that could, that could serve that could serve that is like having a group of people that volunteer themselves as servants, that volunteer mm-hmm. themselves as being the person to go last, volunteers themselves to be the one to um to carry the heavier weight, and um, depending on different genders, that shows up in different ways, right? But I don't think that serves anybody. I don't mm-hmm. really don't think it serves anybody. Uh, and for me, it's about us empowering ourselves to realize that, you know, I like to see the way I, the way I connect with my daughter is me planting seeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time I connect with her in a way that is honest and authentic, she learns, she, she takes that seed and the seed starts to grow in her. Every time I turn up in a way that is inauthentic and false, a seed grows in her. Yeah. And so for me, um, if I really want to give out good seeds to the world, then I have to tend the soil. Yeah. I have to put nutrition into the soil so my own plant can grow. So I have something to put into those seeds. Cause otherwise, you know, when you open a pack of like sunflower seeds and you get that one that looks like a normal seed, but then you like touch it and it bursts into a puff of smoke and it's just like real dusty on the inside. Yeah. Like yeah. Seed. Yeah. That's how I see it. The times mm. when I'm giving out more than I'm giving to myself or I'm not giving to myself at all. And I'm still giving out those times mm. when I keep giving, giving away. I'm giving out dusty seeds. Mm. They're kind of hollow. It's like when you hug somebody, but you know, you weren't really in that hug. It's a yeah. dusty seed. And yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah. teach my daughter to give dusty seeds. Mm. I don't want to teach my daughter to put herself last. Yeah. I want to teach her that she is worthy and that she's worthy of being seen and heard. And by doing that, like to do that, I have to do that myself. Totally. And I have to let her know. So when I have time to myself and I'm like, I'm having mummy time now, I just need a bit of space. Mm. but you know in a few minutes or in, in half an hour I'll be fully with you and I'm and I'll be feeling heaps better but right now I'm feeling I'm having a bit of a struggle yeah. and I need some me time she's like cool and she goes away yeah. and time she comes yeah. up to me and she's like Mommy, actually I just need a bit of space yeah and she goes and she gives yeah. herself a space and she comes back and connects with me when she can yeah and um that's that's important for me that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing that you're gifting to yourself and then to your daughter as well as she grows up to have that as a as something that becomes ingrained within her so then she can take that out into the world as well that's beautiful thank I you think it's, something, it's, it's one of the mm. greatest gifts we can give to yeah. our children to our colleagues to our work to mm. 
for art is to actually to not be with it for a while. Just yeah. take space from it because otherwise we show up in a way that can actually end up being detrimental to the long-term relationship with it. For sure, for sure. And it's like that Gandhi quote, you know, I mean, I know it's been mentioned so many times, but, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And essentially, you know, you know, you're talking to this work, you know, in the work that you do, you're talking to it, but then you're doing it in your day to day. And then you're passing that on to your child as well. And then she will then pass that on as she you know, does that in her own life as she grows up and she's respecting self. And then that has that ripple effect on everyone that meets her. So, um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so I wanted to have a little chat to you about, um, so I went to, uh, the seven sisters last year and then also to confess this year. And, um, you, you do a couple of, um, talks and workshops and things like that. And, um, You've talked um, a number of times just about uh, sort of speaking from the heart and speaking from a real embodied place when we're mm, speaking to other people, whether it's we're providing a gift to someone or, um, or even, you know, when we're just, you know, speaking on a stage or speaking to other people. And you've talked about the difference between speaking from like the back of the throat where it's you're not connecting and it's kind of so heady to really kind of speaking from this kind of embodied space can you talk to that a little bit more the difference between the two sure so for me just to put it into context is it's about again our key when we show up is to create connection the Mm. one thing that, that we're here for is to create connection when we speak why else would we speak yeah so what we need to do is to make sure that whatever we ask that however we say something we are doing everything we can to make sure that it is it is easy to connect with back to ourselves and to the world and to other people so when we what quite often when people go to to public speak or to speak even to somebody who they're not 100 percent comfortable with yeah if we go up into this voice hi yeah. hi everybody you hear it a lot in podcasts and on the radio yeah. hi everybody welcome mm-hmm. to the radio it's really exciting to hear you all oh my god and you're like right up in our in our voice yeah yeah and um it's the place that we go when we're excited about something but it's also a place that we go when we're afraid mm. and it's also the place that we go when we're being nice and mm. um fear when, we, when we're afraid and we go up into that place our whole body is is tense and it's a very disembodied and very unstable place to speak from. Um, yeah. I feel like I could be toppled over at any point. Like saying, saying no and, and, and standing up against something from this throat voice, like point, like, no, no, I don't want that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want that. It's very different to, to actually letting that, that, that sentiment come right from your guts, from your mm-hmm. stomach, and speaking it down and actually planting the words down in the world. So like, no. I don't want that. Mm. It's very grounded. Like no one's going to move me from this. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, um, and it's a tangible, it's a tangible difference. So, and on, on the way of, of, of nice, nice, the nice voice, which is also up here. Hi everybody. It's really, really mm. nice. I'm not a nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is it about manipulating the outcome? Yeah. It's about trying to make sure it's about what I was talking about earlier is I'm going to show up in this very specific way so I can control what it is that you think of me. So if I show up nice and mm. I do everything that I've been told is nice, I know that you are going to see me as nice and nice is a very safe place to be. Mm. As long as I'm seen as nice, I will be accepted. 
Yeah. So we only give that very small part of ourselves. But actually, it's, I don't think nice is a real thing. Mm. Kind, kindness is a real thing. But nice is, is very inauthentic a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, having someone who's kind, who's friendly, who's open, who's um, inviting, who's warm, who's chatty, who's playful, they're all real things. But for me, nice, and this is just my personal relationship with the word, but nice is a kind of a manipulation tool that we use to try and be accepted in the world. Yeah. And um, again, that's an un- it's unstable. We're already in defense. We're defending mm. who we are. We're trying, to, we're trying to like prove something to the world rather than just being who we are. So for yeah. me, if there's going to be a core kind of takeaway is that when we start to speak, if you catch yourself up in your voice up here, so you can feel the, should be able to feel the kind of um, your throat, the top of your throat gets a slightly tighter and you can hear the, your voice in your head more and it, you can almost feel it vibrating behind your nose and at the very back of your throat. And that is, that's, the, that's kind of like the, the fear voice, what I call the fear voice mm. or the nice voice. And actually the different feeling of like dropping it down into our body, we can hear, we can actually feel it resonating in our chest more. And if we get really good at it, we can actually bring it right down into our stomach so we can feel what it is to actually speak from, from our guts, from our, from our genitals, even from this kind of way more embodied part of ourselves. Um, and that for me is when words change the world, that is where they come mm. from. Beautiful, beautiful. And so is it, is it almost like we're taking, you know, we're, we're moving that energy down. We're, we're, you know, really feeling into that part of the body and then we're drawing that energy up through the heart then to come out through the mouth, through the throat. I'm thinking about it from a kind of um, a yoga kind of chakra um, way of looking at things or is it a bit yeah, different to that? I mean, you could apply it to that system and yeah. it would make sense in that way. I think for me, it's um, the heart is really important for me because when I think heart, I don't mm. necessarily think heart chakra. I think mm. heart like the heart of a situation mm. or the heart, the heartwood of a tree or the, the, um, the heart of a, uh, like uh, the core, so it's the core, mm. so the core of the tree, the core of the situation, the core of an apple is mm. the heart of something. Yeah. And so for me, when I think about my think about being courageous and telling the story of myself with my whole heart, I'm not necessarily just talking about the emotive heart or the anatomical yeah. heart. I'm thinking mm. about my core, about the heart of who I am, the core of who I am, and yeah. how to speak from that place. And when I drop my words down it's a lot easier for me to be in integrity because I'm not, or I'm not putting my body into a place of, of, um, in, of, in, of, yeah, inauthenticity and fear. Cause that's what mm. that tense, that tense voice is where we go into when we're like defending ourselves. We've got like, we're all lined up and we're in defense and we've got the, the, the kind of the weapons out. But yeah. when I let go of all that and I drop in, there's a softness. There's, a, there's also a strength and there's a capacity to really tap into the truth of the situation. It's a lot easier to admit you're wrong from this place than it is to admit mm. you're wrong when you're when you're in defense. Yeah. Because, and, and when we can admit, we're, I mean, for me, it all, it, a lot of it ties up in the world of fooling. Like I studied how to be a sacred fool and fooling is like, a bit like clowning, I guess, that kind of on the external is showing up and being silly. But actually what it is, is the fool is the only one who will be honest on stage. Like only a fool will be honest on stage because to risk, they have no, they have no fear of risking looking like a fool. 
because they already are. Yeah. They're prepared yeah. to just show. Mm. Um, yeah, and then that that I've got a whole links of that in with the tarot as well and stuff. So it's, for me, oh, it's, right. it's got a bigger a bigger image, but the power mm. of the bull. Bull's a very um, important archetype when it comes to integrity and authenticity. Yeah. Because they're prepared to make mistakes. They're prepared to be um, to be wrong. They're prepared to show up not knowing the answer. Mm. But they also carry their own history and they carry, they do, it's not like, they're not like, a, they're not like they don't know anything, but they're also prepared to know that they might not know. Yeah. Yeah. It's being okay with not having all of the answers and being okay with not being perfect and dropping all of that stuff. I remember when, um, sorry, you go. No, you go. Go. Um, when, uh, I was in Barcelona. I lived there for a year and a half and um, I did a uh, teaching English qualification and, um, you know, like I'd never taught in schools or, you know, ever really uh, taught a group of people before. And, you know, I'd done presentations at work, but it was different to this. And, um, and I just remember, yeah, just this feeling of like, well, what if I don't know the answer if I'm asked a question, you know? And this was a common thing that was coming up for everyone, like this fear of like not having all of the answers. And then it kind of dawned on me that it's okay not to have the answers, but it took some time to get to that place because before it felt like it was such a tense feeling of like, I have to go there with the answers and I have to pretend even if I don't know the answers, that I have the answers. And that kind of came from working in corporate where you kind of have to have that facade of knowing everything and, you know, not looking weak. And, um, and so this was a big healing. Yeah because we're already having to prove who we are in a situation mm. like that because we haven't been we're not automatically assumed that we know that we are worthy of being there yeah yeah true yeah true 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 and so yeah so this defense really kicked in through the corporate years and was making me incredibly unhappy because I knew I was being inauthentic I knew there was a disconnection to to self um, but I didn't acknowledge it enough to do anything about it, if you know what I mean. Um, and then, yeah, and then when I did this temple, it was just like, you know, it's okay not to have the answer. You can just say, oh, great question. I don't know the answer. I'll get back to you. And it was just so freeing and so relieving to be okay with that and just stand strong within that place. It was, mm, cool. There is such a liberation of, of the words I don't know. Um, yeah. my, my falling teacher, Jonathan Kay, he's, um, an incredible, well, fool, buffoon. And he, he, um, yeah, he originally said that line of only a fool, be honest on stage. And he also used to say that when you're prepared not to know, that's when real freedom comes. Like it, yeah. he teaches improvisation skills, but for me, he's teaching life skills. Mm. And when we can say, I don't know, I don't know. Like, Cause some people, they relate that to like, Oh, I don't know. And it's like, a, like closing down, but actually I don't know. It's an opening up it's like, yeah. I don't know. and I can learn. There's so much that I can find like, wow, what are all the possibilities, possibilities, you know? Yeah. And when we let ourselves say, I don't know, it's actually a really a liberating feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even in social dynamics and in situations like, like, like what if we don't, what if we don't even say, I'll get back to you? Mm. You know, you know, they're like, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. What yeah, if it's just like you know what I just don't know the answer to that yeah, yeah. thanks for bringing that up mm. now I know that I don't know the answer yeah and it's like wow what a what a it's the gratitude that we've realized something that we don't know about it's, it's, yeah um 
it's not about being small and humble. It's about, yeah. it's about the, the expansiveness of not knowing. Like if, yeah. if Stephen Hawking's knew, he would never have done what he did in this world. He yeah. would never have, have, re, have like created the theories because you cannot theorize about things. You cannot um, come up with concepts and, and test things if you already know. Because if yeah. you already know, you're not prepared to test it in case you get proved wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's great thought leaders that I think mm. are, are prepared to say, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's true. love it and it's the same with um you know boundaries and things like that you know it's like when we're saying yes when we really mean no and then when you kind of get to the stage of kind of pulling that apart and going actually you know I've been invited here and actually I really don't want to go and previously I've always said yes because I'm trying to make everyone else happy um but now I'm going to start saying no. And I know that in myself, what I was doing was I started to say no and then having an excuse attached to it. Mm-hmm. So no, because I've got to do this and da, 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 da. to try and again, not make the other person um, upset the other person or let them down or whatever. But then similar to what you're saying is like to say no and just leave it at that then there's something really empowering in that too without yeah, having I mean, to create an excuse. There's, there's such, um, it's also a bit of a, like social relearning. Cause I think if people are mm. going to take offense to something, there's that, there's a beautiful line between, um, saying, being clear with our boundaries and mm. being, an adult. you know, sometimes yeah. It, yeah. Me, me, me attacking somebody else to try and prove my boundary it's very mm. different to me just having my boundary and laying it out. Yeah. Uh, so I think, especially when it comes to what we are talking about earlier with the courageously me stuff, like mm. saying that we just need me time and yeah. just turning around to somebody and be like, you know what? I just need some me time. I just need yeah. me time. All right. That's a very different feeling to turning around to somebody and being like, Hey, I'm going to go um, for a walk because I really need some me time now. Yeah. And that being my, that being a thing that I'm saying for me to own my ground rather than being a way of like, attacking somebody else yeah. with our own degrees. and so I think um with the with the kind of like people's other ex- other people's expectation on us if we know that we have laid our boundary down in a way that isn't about attacking them that isn't about yeah. making a point or passive aggressive or projecting our shit on them it mm. takes a lot of work yeah to, to that stuff just to feel mm. into it mm. if we can feel into it and feel like we have been in, in as integrity as we can in that moment mm. um then whether or not they get offended at that point becomes their work. It's yeah. Their place. Yeah. And yeah, there are situations that that can be difficult and I don't blame people for not wanting for, for doing things just because mm. they feel obliged to because of family situations and because of the repercussions of that, because it's scary. Yeah. It's that it goes back to that risk of, of risk of security, risk of safety, mm. risk of community. Yeah. But for me, most of the time, the risk to my own belonging, my own sense of self is greater mm. than the risk of offending somebody else. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm not an expert at this, you know, mm. but it's something it's like, I don't always lay my boundaries down perfectly every time. Not at all. I, it's because mm. I fuck up. It's because I do it mm. wrong and I speak out of integrity and I can witness that and I can see it that I'm able to actually know this stuff and see this stuff about yeah. myself because there are 
times even now that I'm not able to stand in my boundaries and yeah. there are times that I do stand in them and it feels tangibly different mm. it's yeah. far more empowering for me and for the other person for sure for sure it's kind of that continually learning you know and yeah like you're saying it's like when we kind of yeah, we notice when we have kind of gone against it, it's like, oh, okay, notice how that feels and then make adjustments and things like that. And having that awareness around it, I think is, I've definitely found has been key in my own life um, and has made the difference. But yeah, exactly. None of us are perfect. We're all just doing what we can <laughs> um, for sure. Um, so I wanted to chat to you um, before we finish up. I've got a couple of questions. So the first is, what does living a whole life mean to you? So this podcast is called Becoming Whole. So what does a whole life mean to you? To me, to be whole is to – so my first um, – it's interesting. My first response was holistic. Mm. The first word that came to me was holistic. The second word that came up for me was um, integrity, and the third word was complete. And I feel like both of them, there's an overlap where all those three, you know, so to be holistic is to take in all – the elements of a scenario and put them together and read them as, rather than reading one part or another mm. individually to read the whole thing. Um, for me to be able to act in integrity, I have to be able to do that to myself. I have to um, be able to check myself and, and to know that when I'm stepping forward in the world, that I have at least made an attempt, um, made an attempt to be in integrity and third point of, of, of completion is that is to be is that same feeling is that when I can step forward with integrity it doesn't mean I know all the answers it doesn't mean I'm finished but it means I am complete in that moment mm. that I don't have loose ends and loose ties of like what if I'd said this or hiding this this bit that I'm hiding here and won't say that because it's, it's confronting that there's a wholeness in, in speaking. It's, it's bringing all the parts of myself together. I think mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Same with, with courage, with to tell a story of yourself with your whole heart. It is to, to bring all the parts of myself together and wear them all as me rather mm -hmm. than just wearing parts of them as myself. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And um, so I know that you have a lot of things that are going on um, in your professional life at the moment. Um, you've got your spoken word, the mother tongue, and then also the public speaking course, Speak Up. Can you tell everyone about what it is that you've got coming up in the next kind of like six months to a year? Oh, so for the next six months, I'm currently doing the first round of my online speaker program called Rise, Rise Speaker Training. Mm -hmm. And so this is the first round that I'm in at the moment. We're in week two. And so I will be doing another round of that in probably a couple of months time. Great. Um, it's been really fun for me to explore the, this, what it is to bring this work online. So mm -hmm. that is about this work. Exactly. It's how do we apply ourselves to our world? How do we, how do we step forward to our words and, and share ourselves fully? In the world and that can be on stage or it can be with friends it's about mm. beginning to step forward as ourself without hiding that's what the the rise speaker training is um 
in two weeks time I'm doing my first TEDx talk oh my gosh that's so exciting I did actually see that and I was like wow that's so great straight up I'm having a complete breakdown and meltdown about it um and doing the work I'm deeply in the act of doing my own work at the moment which is horrible and beautiful at the same time um and I am also going to be doing a US tour um, around October, I think, September, October time, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited about. Great. Um, what will you yeah, be so doing got, on that tour? What am I doing on that tour? Yeah. At the moment, I have all I know. I've got someone else booking the tour for me, and I currently have one event booked in, in Vegas. Please oh, go to Vegas. Vegas. Which is it's not where I expected <laughs> myself to go. <laughs> My first US tour date. Um, but we're hoping to get to book some events in San Francisco mm-hmm. and Vancouver. So, um, yeah, if, if anybody knows any connections in those places, I'm well up to talking about it. Oh. And that will be both performances and workshops and speaking, speaking oh, wow. at um, empowerment events and stuff like that. So oh, fantastic. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and I have my album coming out as well, my Ooh. spoken word album, sometime in the next, hopefully, four months. Uh, right. We should finally, after nearly two years of working on it, should be ready to launch into the world. So amazing. I'm sure there'll be heaps more. I'm one of these people that has uh, at least six projects on at the same time. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, the I best know. way to stay in contact is, is, is most through my newsletter or to follow me on social media because that's pretty cool. much where all of my stuff gets out into the world amazing so i'll put all of those details um into the show notes and stuff so that people can find you um awesome is there anything else that you kind of wanted to mention and share with the world before we kind of finish up yeah i think for me if you are going to walk away from this podcast with one thing one new understanding is that so your voice, whoever you are, however you, you identify or show up in this world, that your voice is needed in this world, that you have the capacity to change other people's lives with your voice just by being yourself. You don't have to pretend to be somebody mm. else. You don't have to um, try. You just have to let yourself be courageous. You have to do the courageous work step into yourself and let yourself be seen and it's in the act of letting yourself be seen and speaking from that place that you have the capacity to change not only your life but the lives of others around you beautiful i needed to hear that thank you fleecy i'm sure everyone else did as well thank you so much for shining your light and doing all of the work that you're doing um i think it's really well needed and um, particularly now more than at any other time um and the fact that you are continuing to stand up stand up in your own personal power from this beautiful place of courage and authenticity and vulnerability so thank you you're welcome thank you so much for having me and that's the end of another episode i do hope you enjoyed it and gained some new insights you can find more info about the show and my guests by visiting my website claire-bradshaw.com or subscribe to itunes to ensure you don't miss an episode and if you're enjoying the show please give it a rating on itunes as this makes a huge difference in sharing the podcast and its content with more people 
My dream is to create a happier, healthier, more wholesome world. And I truly believe that it starts with ourselves. So thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.